would we call that feminism? In this podcast, we'll be examining what it means to be a feminist, what feminism has claimed to have achieved, who has benefited the most, and who's been left behind. We'll be looking at the hard truths of how feminism has failed marginalised communities. Through recognising our own behaviours and creating accountability, we can start to strive for real change. Change that will positively impact the lives of women everywhere. We'll discover what we would call feminism. Hey, and welcome to the first episode of Would We Call That Feminism? I'm your host, Cheryl Hill, and I'm a feminist. For transparency, I'm a white, bisexual, cis, working class woman. And I'm currently in my final year of university studying philosophy. Before we get started, I want to set some, let's call them, community guidelines. First, we include cis, trans, non-binary and femme presenting in our definition of women. Secondly, this is about collective learning. These conversations are going to get uncomfortable and they're going to challenge things that you might feel strongly about. It's about being okay with that. This isn't an attack on you, your morals, or about focusing on individual reactions. It's about highlighting problems within feminism and society that we collectively need to address. Third, we'll always aim to use preferred terms. However, we know that these terms can evolve and change. It's safe to say some of what we say now may be considered out of date by the time you're listening. As long as we're always doing the work to keep up our knowledge and vocabulary and amending to match those changes as and when we can. Finally, for now, one of my goals is to ensure that we provide accessible understanding of our discussions. The website has a glossary for any terminology and we also have resources for you to do your own research. Please, please, please ask questions when you need to. There is no such thing as a stupid question. Don't let that be a barrier to engaging. As long as it's done respectfully and with consideration for people's human rights, I'll respond as best I can. The goal of all of this is to hopefully contribute to creating a society that recognises our differences are our strengths. That through conversation and clear understanding, we can directly address our diversity. That we can build a world where we can coexist whilst recognising our fundamentally unique experiences and needs. So here's hoping that you're joining us today in the best sense and that you're ready for some learning. Let's discover what feminism is doing and how we can dismantle systems of oppression that govern our lives. I mentioned earlier I'm currently studying philosophy at Manchester Metropolitan University. And when I decided to finally finish my degree at the age of 30, I went in with a very clear idea that I'd do something in my dissertation around corporate social responsibility. And I sat down with my supervisor and she asked me, what do you care about? And I thought, I care about feminism. I care about women's rights. I care about equality. And as we discussed it more, I realised I'd actually been feeling a bit of a disconnect from feminism. I didn't feel like I was seeing significant changes in the world. And I couldn't necessarily make sense of that at the time. And that's how would we call that feminism was born. It's not an attack on feminism. It's about having a more critical understanding of feminism. And so with that in mind, the first thing I wanted to critique was white feminism and the lack of recognition for black women within the movement. 
also in recognising that when addressing these issues, the burden of education around the issues of white feminism more often than not falls back to black women too and in a way that forces them to share their trauma to be heard. As Patricia Hill Collins states in Black Feminist Thought, oppressed groups are frequently placed in situations of being listened to only if we frame our ideas in the language that is familiar and comfortable for a dominant group. This is problematic. As white women, we've shifted the responsibility to those who are actively oppressed by our actions. This is something that is clear throughout the history of feminism itself. We're simply reproducing that behaviour now. Ironically, this serves to support the patriarchal oppression that we are supposedly fighting and white supremacy. I saw an Instagram post recently by Ruby Hamad who said, feminism is white supremacy's secret weapon. And I'd add to that that it's the patriarchies as well. I know a lot of women who consider themselves to be progressive feminists who would balk at this kind of a statement. I was that feminist and I know I still need to do a lot more work in understanding the why of how we've allowed this purveying ignorance to continue and what work we need to do to address it. This isn't about guilt or alleviating guilt, it's about moving past that because it isn't about our reaction to racism within feminism. It's about focusing on understanding the issue and how we can collectively begin to address it. This is about leveraging the privileges we do have to create enduring change and equality for all women. So consider this podcast an ask from me to my fellow white women to please listen and learn about how exactly we can do that. In the spirit of this podcast not just being me nattering away, I'm excited to share with you that I've recently had the pleasure of recording an epic conversation with the brilliant Khadija Diskin. She's currently a research assistant and doctoral candidate at Manchester Metropolitan University. She'll tell you a little bit more about who she is and what she's doing shortly. I've broken our conversation into a series of extracts that I'll share over the first batch of episodes. In this first extract, I'll be asking Khadija what feminism is to her and if she considers herself a feminist. We'll also touch on the history of feminism and why how it's viewed could be considered problematic. Then we'll take a look at modern mainstream feminism and how it's been repurposed as a tool supporting systems of oppression. After all that, I'll be back to share some of my thoughts on our chat. Enjoy. Hi everyone, I'm Khadija Diskin. I'm a PhD researcher exploring black students' positions, experiences and interactions with the academy. Um, I'm black African migrant femme, I'm also queer and I'm also a mother. And would you say you're a feminist? I would say that absolutely I'm a feminist um, in lots of really interesting and complex ways. So I don't ever think of my feminism as particularly fixed. I feel my feminism as interacting and intersecting and exploring and questioning the world in lots of complex and nuanced ways. What a great answer. I love the idea of feminism being fluid. And I suppose that takes me to my next question. In recognising yourself as a feminist, how would you then define feminism? I think it can be quite a challenge to perhaps define feminism in neat and sort of fixed terms. Firstly, because obviously feminism and its history has particular sort of paradigm shifts that we tend to call waves. But then also there is a whole sort of 
theme through which we can understand particular types of feminisms. So your radical feminist is very different perhaps to your Marxist feminist, who's very different to your liberal feminist, who's also perhaps very different to your black feminist, right? And in the more contemporary age, what we tend to often talk about is the sort of rise of an intersectional feminism. Um, and what exactly that means, I'd be interested in maybe exploring a little bit more, and I hope we can maybe get to that a little bit more in the, um, as the conversation goes on. There's definitely a lot to be said about intersectionalism and we will certainly get to that at some point in our conversation. I definitely know from my own experience that in the past I've recognised feminism as these waves and realistically it doesn't actually acknowledge a lot of what has gone on within the movement. It sort of sensationalises these moments in time. Do you feel like this has contributed to a misunderstanding of feminism and has it created any problems for feminists? Yeah, so I think the issue that I perhaps have with the waves as we understand them as a particular sort of chronological or linear shift in feminisms is that one of the waves are very much centered on a Western centric perception of what feminism is, right? And we understand that the West has a particular, not just epistemological power, which means their power in how they're able to sort of create and consolidate knowledge, but also a power of visibility that often means that we take our cues from, from Western feminist ideals and Western feminist progression. I take issue with that because I think the waves, again, do not allow for that sort of nuance, do not allow for that sort of, you know, important understanding of intersectionality um, as a means through which we understand that feminist movements, feminist praxis has existed for many feminists, especially black feminists who've existed within the peripheries for a very long time, but they are often not who's considered when we think about these waves, their practice of particular feminisms are often completely ignored. Um, feminism as it exists outside of the sort of Western context in um, the um, global South, for example, doesn't necessarily have the same linear trajectory as the waves of feminism we understand in the West does, but they get none of the attention, they get none of the sort of understanding and actually their feminist praxis gets shoved to the side and siloed into sort of a, a, a contextual and a different and a, you know not as powerful, not as sort of dominant mode of feminism. And I think that really just does a disservice to the just millions of women who don't have the benefit of representation, don't have the benefit of, you know, the cultural and imperial hegemony that many countries in the West do. And to ignore their feminisms, I think, is to do a disservice to feminist praxis and feminist knowledge and feminist epistemology. You've really highlighted the scale of what's being ignored and who's being left behind. So who are the people we recognise as leaders of feminism? Is the problem on these white, heteronormative, middle, upper-class women who are seemingly ignorant to the complexities and nuance of feminism and the needs it's supposed to address? Um, a little bit. I think I might stretch that a little bit more. Um, and I'm sort of thinking these and working these through. So I think, you know, there is the absolute problem of the sort of contemporary moment that we're in, in which most of the sort of proliferation of feminism is a very kind of neoliberal feminism, right? Um, it's... Uh, it postures itself as a radical feminism, but is very, very much detached from the types of radical feminisms that we saw in the sort of apex of these types of like movements in their sort of insurrection and in their development um, across what we consider the waves, uh, um, as much as we problematized that before. You know, I think to view feminism as it stands currently in this neoliberal sense, in this, you know, the, <laughs> the, the very middle-class white feminists who tend to be very exclusionary in their politics, or who tend to sometimes borrow working class language 
language and working class um, struggles of women and present that as like their own struggles, I think is a particular type of problem, right? And it's a problem of appropriation. It's a problem of flattening. That problem we see happen across the board in lots of different movements. And I think it's actually more so a sort of critique, I suppose, of the neoliberal moment in which we're in, right? Where there's this sort of complexity, I think, and I've been trying to grapple with it and having conversations with friends about it, about, you know, how neoliberalism in its attempt to essentially commodify absolutely everything still requires a level of authenticity and authenticity often comes from the most marginalized right so the working class black femme struggle is the most sort of authentic in its presentation but the way in which those struggles those languages those knowledges have then been sort of taken out of their context commodified by the likes of people like Florence Gibbon by the likes of people like Sunflower by these kind of contemporary pop feminists is that sort of violent commodification, right? It's taking a struggle that is absolutely rooted in working class, in marginal, in queer spaces and selling them to the masses in these neat pink yellow packages. So that's why I think that we often see feminism as being led by sort of middle and upper class neoliberal women. Um, but for me, it's always about returning to the root, right? So who are these people taking their languages from? They're taking their languages from the Simone de Beauvoirs of the world. They're taking their languages from the Bell Hooks of the world. They're taking the lang their languages um, from the Angela Davises of the world. And I think we've gotten too comfortable in our current moment to sort of just taking what has been packaged to us and viewing that as the sort of truth of the matter, right? As the history of the matter and not doing that complex work of going to the root, of going to the sort of Marxist feminists who were talking about labor, of going to the people who were talking about, you know, the second shift and the triple shifts and emotional labors and all the different ways in which we understand the subjugation of women. Um, we need to go back to those roots, essentially. I hear what you're saying. It's like the work's already been done. Why, if this work already exists, is it being reproduced and commoditized? The question was framed around white feminism and you brought up neoliberal feminism. So my question is, is it white feminism that's the issue? Is it neoliberal feminism that's the issue? Or are the two interlinked? What's the connection there? I think in the current moment in which we're in, and in that sort of messaging I made about the particular types of performances of authenticity, you know, white feminism has been historically critiqued, right? White feminism has been denigrated for centuries because we know that it's not a sufficient type of feminism and it protected and was considering a particular type of feminine pre pre performance or feminine existence that wasn't actually the norm, right? It was the white, it was the hegemonically white. It wasn't the sort of um, universal experience. So like, even the existence of things like black feminisms and intersectional feminisms come as a particular critique of white feminisms, right? I think in this contemporary moment, neoliberal feminisms are our biggest challenge. That's because neoliberal feminisms can do that talk of talking about black feminism, can often sometimes be black, be Asian, be all types of ethnicities, right? But essentially at the heart of what they're doing is still this commodification of feminism and feminist knowledges and praxis. We have to sort of I think it's unfair to just say that's just white feminism, although as problematic as white feminism is, I think it's a neoliberal feminism in that it implicates us all, right? Because we're constantly forced into these logics of commodity, constantly forced into these logics of digestibility and saleability of what is radical thought, of what is thought that shouldn't be commercialized, shouldn't be com um, commodified because it's very much anti-commodification. If we understand that most of the sort of black feminist traditions come from radically Marxist um, working class 
movements, knowledges and understandings, then we will know that to, you know, take the works of people like um, IDB Wells, to take the works of people like Angela Davis, um, of Claudia Jones, and to sell that in these neat poppy packages is truly to destroy at the core what those women, what those knowledges, what those practices were trying to get us to understand about the world, which is how the world is ordered, how the world is structured, um, how the subjugation of women is often tied to capitalism, how the subjugation of women and the commodification of our bodies is often tied to these sort of capitalist representational politics. Like if we don't understand that, then we've lost, right? And neoliberalism wants us to misunderstand that or it wants us to take very narrow, very sort of uncomplex, very simplistic radical ideals and present them as the most radical praxis. And they're not, they're absolutely not. Because feminism for me and feminism at its core, at its root, in its most radical traditions, is an acknowledgement of the violence of these sort of structures of power and these technologies of power, how they intersect, how they interact, how they develop, how they reconstruct, how they transform, and truly about dismantling them, right? So that Audrey Law quote that I absolutely love, you know, the master's tools cannot destroy the master's house. It may grant us sort of temporary reprise, paraphrasing here, but it will not do the work that we sort of want, right? Which is the destruction of the state that essentially continues to maintain itself through our subjugation, through our collective subjugation, and not just our subjugation as women, right? Because that's another sort of frankly crude misunderstanding of patriarchy. Patriarchy implicates every single person who has to engage within it, right? Patriarchy makes us all culpable for harm, makes us all culpable for the subjugation of people who we view as not traditionally fitting within the standard of human and the standard of human being understood as centralized on a Eurocentric, white, cis, able-bodied man. Like you say, it's the systems of power that are in place that are problematic and we're all complicit in it because we all live within it. So maybe the issue is bolstered by white feminism. Absolutely. It's not as simple as that. Yeah, I think the issue with white feminism is that white feminism was the first sort of paradigm through which we understood that very sort of liberal feminist movement, right? Because white feminism is neoliberal feminism, right? That was the first site. So absolutely, white women are culpable for that and white feminists are culpable for that, you know, proliferation and that commodification. They started it, right? That sort of pussy politics, that t-shirt and slogan, dump your boyfriend feminism, that, you know, you know, like <laughs> complete just like in, 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 introduction and engagement with this politics of delicacy and femininity beyond sort of actual good nuanced critiques about that is the first site for that and absolutely you know white feminism white new um white liberal feminism of the 2000s and onwards was very much the first site of that i think it would be safe to say then that neoliberal feminists have sort of reproduced the tactics of white feminism and instead of furthering the cause for equality it continues to hamper that potential so how would you suggest that we would break through the noise of white feminism, neoliberal feminism and affect real change? Um, it's a, a really question. interesting one, right? And I think it's an absolute big question. I suppose where white feminism in its sort of intersection and interaction with neoliberal, neoliberal feminism has got us to, has got us to a place where all we understand about feminism, it's, it's representation or representational politics, right? So it's 
having more women CEOs. And in fact, no, having more women is not enough. We need more black women CEOs. You know, we need more black women in these organizations, which are absolutely some of the most violent institutions in the world. You know, we need bombs that have Black Lives Matter on them. And in fact, have a black woman on there too, with a, you know, Afro and a power uh, and a black power fist. That to me is an absolute disgrace, but that's where we've come to in our politics, right? When we saw, we saw this happen in sort of Black Lives Matter movement where a bunch of people were asking organizations that are, you know, some of the most violently repressive organizations, organizations who are historically and continuously subjugating, especially women in the global South, we were asking them to put out Black Lives Matter messages. So like, for example, something like uh, Misguided or um, ASOS or, you know, these sorts of fast fashion brands, everyone was like, put out a statement, put out a statement. And then they do these statements and they'd make these like, oh, BLM discounts, right? And what was that? That was a violent act. It was a violent act because it was a commodification of a radical politics, right? A commodification of the fact that people were shouting out on the streets, fighting for black lives. What do you call it? Did ASOS, did the like of that ever own up to the fact that they were paying people less than minimum wage? Have they opened up to the fact that in the global South, sometimes it's black and brown women who are working in these freaking sweatshops? But all of that was forgotten. All of that doesn't matter as long as they're saying Black Lives Matter. I reject that. I think that is a disgrace. I think that that is exactly the sort of contradiction we have come to, right? When we don't understand politics beyond the radical politics, beyond the real destruction of these sort of systems of exploitation. And all we know is politics of representation. All we know is it's fine to have a black woman on your cover as long, and, and, and that's like, that's like liberation, right? That's a freaking great thing that's happened. But what about the black women that are working for less than minimum wage in your sweat in your sweatshops and factories in the global south? What about the Asian women that are working in your sweatshops that are working for less than minimum wage that are unable to look after their children based on what you're feeding them? What about the econ What about the um, ecological crisis that you're actually proliferating, making worse through these constant selling and constant commodification of these like bad quality items that you're forcing us to continuously feel as though we have to consume? Like, what about that? That to me is the feminism, right? The feminism is things like ASOS, things like um, uh, misguided and boohoo, et cetera, et cetera, that are constantly literally destroying our environment, destroying the earth, that are exploiting black and brown women. They should never be allowed, right, to claim any type of feminism. They should never be who we think of when we think about fem feminism. But we do because we've told them that as long as they put out a freaking message on Instagram, that's feminism. So it's almost that just surface level, meaningless, performative. Completely action. performative, right? Yeah. Completely performative. Even the sort of, you know, politics of hiring. Oh, hire more. You know, you've not hired enough black people. You've not had enough black models. Why does that matter? They're exploiting black people as we speak. We shouldn't want more black women in organizations that are exploiting black women, exploiting Asian women. That's not, that's not feminism. That's the antithesis of feminism, because what it's doing is it's making women more culpable. It's making especially black women who we theorize as being part of the most marginalized culpable for the violences and for the harms that these institutions, these industries, these companies are doing. That is not feminism to me. Like that's neoliberal, cap that's just capitalism. <laughs> They're taking the comfortable way 
out really because they're Absolutely. doing the bare minimum. In fact, lower than the bare minimum in a lot of ways. Lower than the bare minimum. Posting black models is the least you could fucking do. Yeah. It doesn't mean you care about black lives, especially when you're literally currently subjugating black and brown women. When you're the reason why women in the global south cannot feed themselves, cannot get education, cannot free themselves from the shackles of patriarchy, you, then you are an agent of patriarchy because you're keeping them subjugated. That was pretty heavy. <laughs> heavy, yeah. But heavy, heavy is good. Heavy is part of it. That was the end of the first extract from my conversation with Khadija. And you'll know that it ended on a pretty heavy point. I want to reiterate the importance of not shying away from these conversations and that feeling uncomfortable can be the thing that forces people to react. Don't want to feel that way? Let's do something about it. As for my own reflections, something that struck me was the additional dimension of viewing feminism under the scope of capitalism and the role it's evolved to play. I know when things start to get more complicated, it's really easy to say, no thanks, I'll just focus on this part of it. And that's privilege, and it's a bad use of privilege. So while I was originally focused on white feminism as mainstream, I recognise its evolution into neoliberal feminism through the commodification of feminist thought. Within these feminisms, we can see parallels of the tools of oppression used within structures like capitalism, the patriarchy and white supremacy, systems designed to oppress and extract. There is an inherent need in society and therefore in feminism to create a hierarchical dominance and essentially white women, whether intentionally or not, create this through the exclusion of black women. It's historically been the case. In Bell Hooks, Ain't I a Woman, she points out several contemporary white feminists who have written about this and admitted black women's contribution. I struggle to understand how a moment as poignant as Sojourner Truth's speech, of which the book is named after, that shows how women are capable of working as hard as men, something that Sojourner knows as a woman who was a slave because of her blackness, isn't something that's often shared or discussed within feminist literature. My supervisor also pointed out to me at the time of Sojourner's speech, it wasn't just men who she was addressing, it was the white women who also criticised her, who didn't want her speaking on their behalf, who saw her blackness as something that eradicated her womanhood. This is being reproduced even now. In fact, my sister recently bought a book called I Hate Men, and there was a chapter in that named Mediocre as a White Man. The author brings up race but fails to acknowledge its place within feminism or the difference it creates or the variety of needs that need to be addressed. In fact, she urges her readers to act like a white man. How does that help feminism? That's essentially assimilation and we shouldn't have to act like our oppressors to succeed. Another book I want to mention that I've been reading for my dissertation is Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. She created the hashtag Solidarity is for White Women. She talks about how it's important to recognise that feminism is for all women, not just the privileged few. She addresses the importance of looking at food insecurity, education and safe health care, something that isn't a reality for many black women. When we look at both these authors, one is advising on how to succeed within the system for your own personal benefit, the other is addressing collective need and the basic human rights not afforded to certain social groups. I know who I would rather align myself with and who I would rather feminism was representative of. This begs the question of who do we act like to succeed if not like our oppressor? There is more representation than we've ever known, but when we can understand more clearly on how mainstream feminism intersects with capitalism, the patriarchy and white supremacy, why do we celebrate one woman having to fight that to get ahead? Why aren't we questioning the reason they have to struggle in the first place? 
Our focus is misaligned to suit the oppressors. This is how representation becomes tokenism, intentional or not. I don't believe that that is feminism. And also in that representation fails to address women in the global south. Again, this isn't something that was on my radar ahead of speaking with Khadija. I had quite a narrow viewpoint in my approach because I was focusing on what's directly around me, but the global subjugation of women needs to be a part of the conversation. It isn't us and them, it's we. Their subjugation affects us all. It's something I'll actively look at integrating into the remainder of the project. It's important to recognise that being a woman and being a feminist doesn't mean we are above reproach or accountability. As we take on this new information, it isn't about our reaction. It's not about how it makes us feel because that's centering the conversation around ourselves. It's about saying, okay, I recognise the impact of what's past and that it's still happening. I want to be part of the collective change needed to address inequality within a movement I've specifically aligned myself to. It's uncomfortable and it's not something you can switch off. This has to be a lifelong commitment. In the next extract, we'll be looking more closely at the relationship between consumers and commercial businesses, the role of representation, and we'll also be addressing the impact of subjugation of women in the global south. Remember, we have a website, would be called at feminism.co.uk, and there you'll find our glossary and directory for more resources. We're also on social media. A big thank you to Khadija for your invaluable insights and contribution. I'm looking forward to sharing our next extract. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Would We Call That Feminism? In the show notes, you'll find links to any articles, references or resources mentioned in today's episode. Let's continue the conversation. Find us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at WWCTFeminism or use the hashtag CallThatFeminism. Remember, it's important to self-reflect and to always keep learning about how we can dismantle the systems of oppression around us. Keep on asking yourself, would we call that feminism?